Well, okay. It's a strange new world, right? Hey, my name is Brad. I didn't introduce myself earlier. I'm one of the pastors here. And uh, if you're new to Copper Hills, welcome. Welcome to you online. Glad you're joining us. Uh, I'm going to be out in the plaza area right after the service. I would love to meet you. Uh, if you're watching this at home, you're just out of luck. I guess call me. I'm not sure. Yeah. Um, we're starting a new series this weekend. And uh, I got to tell you, I am uh, I'm excited about it. I'm thrilled about it. And I'm nervous about it. Because uh, over the next weeks, we want to talk a little bit about this strange new world that we live in. Now, what do I mean with that? Well, for some of us, uh, when we've woken up after about 20 years of slumber, uh, the world is profoundly different than what it was 20 years ago. It's really different. Now, for our high school and college kids, young adults, it, it isn't different for you because you, you didn't live through you know, the, the years that we did. And so for, for us, as uh, folks said, are slightly, slightly older... It really is profound. It's almost like, uh, you know, the, the Matrix, which is, uh, you know, this dystopian world that isn't real, and yet it just seems really real, and then it turns out it really is real, or you wake up from a bad dream and you realize it wasn't a dream. It's that kind of chaotic craziness in this strange new world. For sure, the last two and a half years of COVID have... Uh, Changed some things. You know, I think a lot of us maybe went into COVID not knowing what it, like what it was all about, and we thought, well, this is an interruption. Turns out it was a disruption, and things aren't the same. And that's not just to do with conflict in families and homes and businesses and wherever you find yourself relationships because of, you know, arguments over masks and vaccines and those kinds of things. There's something different, right? Our world, is, it's just a strange new world. But that's, it's not just COVID. That's a factor. But is it just me? Or does it seem like there's just body blow after body blow after body blow of stuff happening uh, in the last two decades or so? You know, in, the two, in 2008, when we had this uh, a blitzkrieg of economic crash, right? We had to recalibrate and we had to rethink. And then we rode this rocket ship for almost 10 years of incredible economic growth. And now the storm clouds of, you know, inflation and maybe recession are on. And you just kind of, you just kind of go, this is, this is such a strange world. You think of, uh, like, global conflicts and the things that are happening in our world. There's always been war, right? But at times you, you kind of look at it and go, like, Revelation talks about wars and rumors of wars. And I get asked this often, do you think Jesus is coming back like tomorrow? I don't know. That's up. He doesn't even know. It's up to God the Father, right? But he just have that feeling like this is a strange new world. Just take communication, for example. You know, the proliferation of communication technology uh, has gotten to the place where, and this is not a, not a condemnation of it, it's just the reality where... You know, 20, 25 years ago before uh, Facebook, I think that's been that long, and uh, something called texting. I know this is crazy. You won't remember this. We actually used to have personal conversations with each other. No kidding. We didn't text feelings because you can't. You didn't text tone because you can't. We actually got on a phone or we, <laughs> we talked to one another. It's, it's just a strange new world, isn't it? It is. 
We see that in so many different ways. We see that in um, the political tensions seem to increase, uh, not just here in our country, but around the world. Uh, you see weather phenomena that are a little new, right? And then right on the heels of that, there's this whole argument of, is this climate change? 20 years ago, you know what climate change was? The forecast for tomorrow is rain. So it's going to change from today to tomorrow. Now it's a totally different subject, right? It's a strange new world. Uh, you think about the sexual revolution. Oh my goodness. It's a crazy, strange new world. Uh, the last decade or more than that, we have seen just an unguarded, fully saturated, whatever media source you can find, saturated with sexual content. Unguarded. It's stunning for me, but I saw it before that, right? I mean, I grew up in a home where there wasn't a TV. That's actually, that happened. People are still alive today who didn't have TV. No, that's a real thing. Yeah. Uh, when I grew up, if I had turned to my dad and I'd said, Dad, I, I think I've, I'm a man, uh, I've got a, a woman inside this man's body, he would have taken me off to a psychologist. Today, if my children were to say that to me and I was to say, no, no, that's not possible, I would get taken to a psychologist or something's wrong with me for not, like, it's just a strange new world, right? And this is what we've woken up to. And this is our world, however. Do you know the truth that it is? Each generation of followers of Jesus have actually been in their own strange new world. It's just that this is now our season. And so much of what we've seen, we can't quite put together if we've been around for a while. Like I say to our high school students and to young adults, you, you don't know the change, you live in it. But here's the interesting thing. When I have conversations with them, it's not new, but it's strange to them. It doesn't, just something's off. Something's not quite right and hard to find an anchor spot and a place to really, really call life, life. This is a strange new world that we live in. And this strange new world has raised new kinds of questions for us. And maybe the questions aren't always new, but maybe the answers are somewhat new. Uh, question, this is what we want to talk about in the weeks ahead. Questions like... Uh, is, is faith really necessary? Uh, questions along the lines of, like, like, science and faith, they don't really match together because there's no faith in science. It's just science. And so can't we lean on something that's more reliable, like science, rather than faith? Is that even necessary? You people that follow Jesus, you take the Bible literally. Like, how can you do that? Well, look at the stuff of the, like, Christian history. There are some dark, dark times that things, people did things in the name of Jesus that were pretty like pretty wretched. Like, why do you even need faith in a time like this? So we're going to look at some of those subjects together and think about. But what I want to do for today is I want to anchor us in a passage of scripture from Romans that I think will kind of carry us through the rest of this series that we need to think about and we need to consider. It's going to be taken from Romans chapter 12, and I'm going to do, give a little background, but if you want to click to that, Romans 12 verses 1 and 2, or if you brought a paper Bible to, to turn there, we're going to park on the first two verses of that for a little bit. But a little bit of background, first of all, to what this, this document is all about. It's actually a letter 
that's written to the city of Rome by a guy by the name of Paul, who was a first century leader, an amazing follower of Jesus, who wasn't always a follower of Jesus. You talk about a strange new world. Here's a guy that saw Jesus come into the world, saw what he did, had the, saw the impact that it was having on his culture, and he goes, I'm not in for that strange world where Jesus is new. new. I'm not doing that. In fact, I'm going to work against it. I'm going to try to obliterate everybody who follows him. And he spends some time doing that. And then he has his own personal encounter with Jesus. And now his world is turned upside down. It is a strange new world for this guy. But what an influence he is. So here's what's happening. Uh, This letter which we call Romans, it's in the division in your Bible called Romans, was written by Paul to the city of Rome, to the Christians that are there. But a little bit of background. How did the faith of, how did faith come to land in Rome? Well, we're all familiar with that fateful day in Jerusalem uh, where Jesus is accused, he's sentenced, he is beaten, tortured, hung on a cross, dies, comes back to life again. Then we know 40 days later, uh, the Spirit of God Uh, comes and reveals himself to ordinary people, and uh, it changes, it launches the church. Well, some of those people that experienced it moved or were from originally from the city of Rome, and they went back there and they started talking about what they had seen and experienced in Jerusalem. Well, some people started to believe and they started to gather, not like we're gathered here with several hundred, it's they gathered in small groups in houses across the city of Rome. And initially, there was no traction. But somehow, traction for this movement started to take hold. And then, after about 10, 15 years or so, they caught Caesar's attention. Now, what Caesar really thought they were was just a knockoff cult under the Jewish faith. And what bothered Caesar so much is that they said, there's only one God. Well, Caesar believed there was only one God, and he was it. So now, when this group of people who are gaining some traction start talking about there's only one God, he's going to put an end to it. But because he doesn't know that they're, like a, they're, they're separate from what the Jewish faith was, he lumps all of those groups together under the Jewish heritage, and he kicks them all out of Rome, sends them all away. Now the church is being led by Greek Christians, Gentile Christians, to use Jewish language. After about 10 or so years, some of these Jewish leaders came back to Rome, and what did they expect to take over? Jewish Christians. The church. The church can be so human sometimes. It really can. And so tension develops between the Greek Christian leaders and the former Jewish Christian leaders. And Paul writes to them and says, I want to take you back to the basics. I want to take you back to what this is all about so that you can get your life together and really live. You see, the the church is only effective when it's unified together when we are together for the cause of Christ. And this is what's on Paul's heart. So he just strips it all down, and he says, look, at all of you were wrecked at one point or another. You all walked independent of God, and that deserved death. That's just the reality of how this works. But God in his goodness and his mercy sent his son into this world, and everybody who believes that rests in it, puts the weight of their life in it, finds forgiveness and redemption and cleansing, and that choice changes their present and their destiny and that by the mercy of God. And he goes and shares some other important doctrinal aspects. By the way, if you've never read Romans, read Romans. It's fantastic. Read it slowly. Read it 
in a translation that isn't these and thous and hence with and forthwith and those kinds of things. Read it in English, but read it. It's such a fascinating treatise of what the Christian faith is all about. So for 11 verses, we broke it up into verses and chapters. For 11 chapters, this is what Paul's trying to explain. And then chapter 12, and that's what we're going to read. This is how he starts it. He says, therefore... We've said this before. You've heard it before. Anytime there's a therefore, you've got to ask what it's there for, right? What the therefore is is all the stuff that I just told you because of the wonder and the mercy of Jesus and your desperate state and what he offers, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, which I just told you about, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice. We just sang about that earlier. Holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. See, that's what worship is. It's us giving ourselves to Jesus. We express it in singing, but that's not worship. We express it in giving. That's not worship. Worship is giving ourselves, and those others are, are outflows of our worship to him. And then he says this. Really important, everyone. Do not conform to the pattern of this world but apparently there's something else. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And here's the result. Then you're going to be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will in this strange new world. So if our world is new and it's strange and it's different, and you and I have been invited by, as followers of Jesus to live in that world at this time, by his design, how are we going to do that? What does that look like? How do we live in this place, this planet, with all of the changes that are uncomfortable? This is a strange new world. We may not like it, but it's our world. It's where we live at this time, but how do we do that? And how does that verse affect us? How is it that we don't conform to the pattern of the world? What is this transformation of the mind so that we can make good choices that are true and are in alignment with God's will? Well, let's start here. What's it mean to be conformed or not conformed to the pattern of this world? If you go back to when Paul was writing this, he's writing it in Greek, the pattern of this world was an idiom in the Greek language, in the culture of that time. It was something that people would say when a new Caesar was put in power, it would be like, we're going to conform to the pattern of Caesar because he's the authority here. We're going we're to conform to it. Now, Caesar Augustus, Caesar Tiberius, uh, they all had their own pattern and everybody was to conform to that. Okay? So, uh, what for us in our day is the pattern of our culture. Well, we've said it's new. It's different. It's uncomfortable. We're not sure. How do we not conform to that? And how did we get to where we are today? So here's what I want to do. I want to, in about two or three minutes, give you 2,000 years of history. Yeah, it'll take a little longer than that. But I'm going to give it a shot. Here's what I want to do with it, though is those of you that think deeply about worldviews and so on and uh, eras and so on in human development and how people think about the world, this is oversimplifying it. 
but for the sake of pace and time, I'm going to go through it quickly. All right, so let me take you, first of all, back 2,000 years before Jesus comes along. There's an era of worldview. There's a pattern of the world that was kind of mystical and mythical that was prior to Jesus coming to earth. And then everything changes. It's the hinge point of humanity and human history when Jesus comes to planet earth. Nobody knows it to start with because it doesn't have any traction. Between the Friday that he dies and Sunday where he comes back to life, that Saturday, it's all over. There's nobody really following him. It's over. But then as time goes on and over the next 1,500 years, God becomes the central uh, perspective, worldview. He's the center of the world. But not necessarily him as God, but him represented by the church or by the king. And so if you look at this 1,500-year era, the central point of it would be God, but truth coming through the king or the pope or whoever was that the religious authority of the day. So there was absolute truth in God, and God told the absolute truth, and you could anchor it, in, but you only got it through the church or through the king. You didn't read the Bible. You didn't look for it yourself. There was no Bible. There were a few handwritten copies. But it was absolute truth as the church and the king presented around God. Make sense? Then something happened in and around 1500. These aren't exact dates, okay? But around 1500, something happens that shifts the pattern of the world to a whole new pattern. If that was pre-modern, modernism happens. What is that and what triggered it? Here's what triggered it. The printing press. Suddenly, these documents that people had written back here that nobody could read because they were kind of one-off, suddenly they can be printed and the masses can now read those documents. The masses can now read the Bible, though the church didn't want them to. It kind of leaked out and a revolution started. This new modern era was called Enlightenment. We can't think for ourselves because the king and the church think for us, but it's rooted in absolute truth of God. Over here, I want to think for myself. I want to figure this out. And so when the ability to learn and the ability to read other opinions other than what the church and the king offered, people started to think, well, there's some rationality. There's some reason here. Like we're able to think as human beings. We're able to figure stuff out. And what had been centered on God now became centered on human ability, human reasoning. And for about 500 years, that was how, that was the pattern of the world. Our scientists will figure it out. Our philosophers will figure it out. And so truth now is not so much what the church and the king says. It's what our scientists and rational thinkers and logicians think for us, and we accept it. And then someplace around the late 1800s into the 1900s, people who had placed their trust and conformed to the pattern of the world and reasonable thinking and enlightenment, and we'll figure this out ourselves, realized it doesn't work. In the 1900s, first time we had two global wars. We had something called the Holocaust, genocide, we had horrible things happening in southeast China, in Vietnam. And people began to realize, we cannot reason ourselves out of it. It doesn't work. It doesn't make sense. We've been, we've been sold some things that aren't true. Conforming to that pattern, no more for us. 
So we're going to displace that with somebody else being the center. Used to be God through the church and through the king. Then it used to be through the enlightened community of our philosophers and scientists and so on, reasonable thinkers. And then postmodernism happened, and we became the center. Self became the center. That doesn't work. They can't control the world, but I'm going to try. And so I'm going to make the world about me. I'm going to make it about myself. Because no one's going to look after me except me. And so I'm going to pursue pleasure. I'm going to pursue whatever I feel like. And feelings have become so strong. And they become the guiding light where it used to be the church and the king. And then it was rational thought. You know something? I'm going to make my own decisions now. I'm in charge. I'm going to do what's right for me. I want to be in control. And in feelings became the dominant idea behind how we make decisions and what we do. Because if I'm looking after me, how I feel about me makes the decision for me. That has led to something that you might call uh, expressive individualism. Where, oh, we have a casino in our city that captured this beautifully. Uh, You... Gila River Casino. You know what it is? You do you. That is the classic story of the self in charge. You do what you want to do. You make the decisions. You, whatever you feel like doing, you are the one on the throne of your world and your life. That's the pattern of our current world. And then here's what has happened. How I feel about myself and the decisions I make, others around me affirm that, And now it becomes truth. And so I now set the truth. Used to be the church. Then it was these philosophers. Now I set what the truth is because the culture around me affirms that that's true. So if I feel like doing something, if I feel like making as much money as I can, the culture around goes, that's right. (laughs) Like, make as much as you can. Because we esteem people like that. We honor them. Can I give you a case study that affects all of us? It's centered around uh, the sexual revolution, if you will. Let me, I've written this down. So just think with me for just a second, okay? Something happened uh, in uh, 30, 40 years ago, something like that. A pill was developed. In fact, it got the name the pill. And what it did is it helped us think through uh, that sex between a man and a woman was uh, no longer just about procreation. It was now about recreation. And that's what happened with it. Then the advent of Playboy and Cosmopolitan were in, uh, met the mainstream, and promiscuity was presented to us by our culture, like no longer conform to the pattern. The pattern of the culture was promiscuity is cool. Like really cool people engage in those kinds of activities. Then no-fault divorce came along, and marriage was reduced to an arrangement or a sentimental bond. And if it doesn't work out, or if it's too hard, we can get out of that without any stigma to it. Then there's the feminist rhetoric that happened. This asserted women's control over their own lives, and to some degree that was way overdue. Then the internet massively expanded the accessibility of pornography to all people, including our pre-adolescent and adolescent children. It's a strange new world. 
Then sex becomes a huge commercial business, and increasingly graphic expressions flood our media, and their sex is now presented as a carefree pastime, and traditional sexual boundaries are absolutely shattered. And then this is what has happened in the last 10 years. Sexual expressions such as homosexuality and promiscuity have been normalized in our culture and even celebrated. From absolute authority of God, wrongly through necessarily the church and the king, but absolute authority, no absolute authority, question everything because it's scientists, philosophers, and so on who are reasoning this out too. I'm the authority. And if that's what I feel like doing, truth comes from me. And the culture affirms my views. And then it celebrates those views. And you and I are so susceptible to fall into the pattern of this world. Because that's what's esteemed and it's attractive. And it looks like the right thing. And our kids struggle with some of these questions of sexuality. And what they hear in the culture around us is, do you feel like that? Then that's you. And you set your own truth for what you believe. And Paul writes, don't get, don't get bluffed by that. Don't get fooled by that. Don't conform to the pattern of the world, but be transformed transformed by the renewing of your mind. Do you know what God wants to do in you and and me and has wanted to do for thousands and thousands of years? Is to renew our minds. Not to just get us thinking something, but to actually occupy our minds and our lives with himself. So he sent God's spirit. He sent his spirit into this world to live within the human being to transform our minds so that we could actually look at the world around us, this strange new world, and evaluate it honestly. Not just gone with our feelings, not just gone with rational thought, not just what the church tells me, but God came to us and he lives within us and says, I want to help you think through this strange new world. I want to guide you. I want to lead you to truth. I want to lead you to harmony with me. I want, to, I want to care for you so you live the full life that I've planned. And so he graciously gave us the text of Scripture. But he didn't just throw it in front of us and go, like, go, go memorize that. Just go do what it says. No. The Holy Spirit who helped write it helps explain it, helps apply it, helps us figure out today how in this strange new world, God, things that don't make sense to us, how does that make sense? If I'm not going to conform to the pattern of this world, but you're truly going to transform my thinking so that I can make good judgments that honor you. In our world, things like where Jesus says, uh, uh, hey, Um, when it comes to uh, being slapped in the face, uh, you know, marginalized in that kind of way, um, turn the other cheek. The pattern of the world says, are you kidding me? That'll never work. Don't do that. Protect yourself. Go away from that or fight back or whatever. Like, do something. 
And so the pattern of the world actually looks more attractive than Jesus says, no, hold on. When you said yes to me, you didn't just change your affiliation. You changed your allegiance. And I'm your king. And I love you more than you know. And I'll always tell you the truth. And I'm telling you, turn the other cheek. Because it's going to go well for you. It doesn't make sense in the culture. I get that. When he says forgive, well, he's asked at one point, how many times? I don't know, seven times 70, 490, I think. (laughs) No, 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 no. I'm not even doing it once. Pray for your enemies. Yeah, that'll never work. I will pray for the people I like. I'll pray for the people that agree with me. That's who I'm going to pray for. But pray for my enemies. You understand I don't like my enemies. You understand I don't want good things to happen to them. To which Jesus says, yeah, I know. I know. But don't conform to that perspective where it's how you feel. Let me renew your mind by the presence of myself in you. And then you're going to be able to make decisions. And you're going to be able to understand why I would say that. What happens if you do that? And you will live the full life with me. It's a powerful thing that Paul writes about here. He writes to his strange new world, the beauty of Scripture, because it's not just a document that's got dust on it, but it's a document written by the living Spirit, applied by the living Spirit, applies to our strange new world. You know, oftentimes, when it's just me, and I'm at the center of this whole decision-making plan and what I want and my satisfaction or my interests, and the culture affirms that because that's generally accepted. Um, There's a tendency to actually assimilate into the culture in all kinds of ways. And then I see this in myself, some things about the culture that I just, just rub me the wrong way. I want to castigate the culture. I want to throw stones at it. Or I want to isolate from it. So I assimilate, I isolate, I castigate, and Jesus comes along and goes, how how about if you infiltrate it? How about if you live in it, letting my spirit guide you through the text of Scripture, and we actually have a new model of what life with Jesus in the strange new world looks like? I love this. At the end of Jesus' life, he's having a conversation with his father, talking about his 11 friends that are left. And he says, Father, I'm going to paraphrase now. Father, I'm so glad that you gave them to me. The world hates me and they're going to, <laughs> the world's going to hate them. But I'm so glad you didn't take them out of the world. But you left them in the world. And now I'm going to send them the Spirit. And they're going to be difference makers in the world. They're not going to get conned into me on the throne, self the determiner. No, that's the pattern of the culture. I'm going to let God's Spirit transform my thinking over the course of my life by engaging in the Scripture, not just reading it, but actually maybe join up with a group of people, life group or otherwise, and we're going to, so that we're equipped to live in this strange new world, we're going to study it together, and we're going to invite God's Spirit to explain it to us and clarify. We're actually going to, Pray, not just prayers of desperation, get me out of this or help me with that. But we're going to actually, Jesus, 
Transform my mind so that I can think when I go to work, when I live in my neighborhood, that I can think how you think about this world so that I can infiltrate it for you and not get conned into the pattern of this world. He offers that for us. So, as I said, this is uh, an interesting few weeks ahead. I'm excited about it. I'm a little nervous about it. But I think it's essential that we figure out with God's help how do we live as followers of his in this this strange world. Will you pray with me? Jesus, we do need your help. You have placed us in this time in history. It's not an accident. It's not just the will of our parents. It's you. And Jesus, what does it look like to live as followers of yours, apprentice of yours, subjects of yours in this world? How do we combat this enticing idea that the pattern of our world presents to us? Thank you. Thank you that there is a way out and it's through you, Spirit, in our lives. So Spirit, in these weeks ahead and in this week, would you take what you've inspired people to write and conversations we have and would they transform our minds so that we can think and make really good, wise, God-honoring decisions as we go. And thanks for not taking us out of this world, but for leaving us here with the power of your spirit. Thank you so much. Amen. So before you go today, I just want to encourage you, if being part of a life group is something that would be of encouragement and help to you, we've got a table in the lobby that you can sign up for that. If you want to serve someplace, that's another really great thing to consider and do. There's also people there that can help you with that as well. Now, could I invite you to stand? We do this at the end of every one of our services, and I want to do it again this morning. Now, may the Lord bless you and keep you. May he make his face to shine upon you. May he be gracious to you. May you give us your peace, Jesus, as you... Take our face in your hands and you let the glory of your character shine in us. May we infiltrate this world in your name and for your sake, Jesus. Amen. Have a great week, everybody.